Well, good morning. Thank you, Cody, for leading us in those great songs. Those have helped us to see that we are growing in Christ. I want to start this morning by welcoming all of our visitors. We're so glad you're here with us today. Uh, you are our honored guests, and we're just glad that you can share with us in the worship of our great God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Today is a great day. And as David mentioned, every first day of the week is a great day because we get to come together to worship our God and we get to partake of the Lord's Supper together, remembering His death. But today is especially a good day because it is a day that is celebrated by many to remember our risen Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm always thankful for the times where more people are thinking about the resurrection and more people are focused on Jesus than they normally might be. So my encouragement to you is encourage your friends to keep it up. Share with them your love of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, and we can enjoy that blessing together. But I'm especially thankful that we can share in the hope of the resurrection together, that we have that hope, and because of that, we can be here today. I hope you have your Bibles with you today. We'll be in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, we're continuing our lessons and finishing our lessons on the fruit of the Spirit. I want to uh, plug that in two weeks, we have our spring spotlight coming up. We remember our theme for the year is growing in Christ, and we're going to start with growing in faith. And so we'll be doing that in two weeks. We're really excited to start that series in uh, just a couple weeks now. But this morning, we're going to be talking about one of our favorite topics. It's something we're all very good at. We've mastered it. We barely even need to mention it at all. And that is self-control. Okay, so you see that. We need self-control. It's something that we are looking for more of in our lives. This year we're trying to grow in Christ, and this is one of the characteristics that we'll take on for our Christ-likeness. Self-control is something that we recognize there's a need for in our world. I mean, we see it in how much we check our phones how much we eat, how much TV we allow ourselves to watch, when we go to bed at night. All these things happen, and it's self-control that makes us decide on what we need to do there. I had to make some self-controlled decisions about a year ago on how much coffee I drank. I needed to not have headaches by the time morning worship was over. So we had to make some decisions to make sure that we are finding self-control. And a big part of the reason for self-control and the reason we're looking for it is the world we live in. Because the world we live in is not a world of self-control, but more so a world of self-indulgence. It is a world where everyone is filling up for themselves what they want and what they can get. We can get things instantly. When we want to be entertained, we can pull out our phone and watch something right then and there. If we want to eat, even if we're not really hungry, we can have food made for us instantly or even delivered to us quickly. If we want... Uh, to fill our impulses, we can fill them. We don't have to wait. We don't have to decide not to. So why do we need self-control? We often have self-control because denying ourselves something in the moment gives us something better in the long run. We have self-control because we know we need it. We deny our impulses because we know that we can improve our lives in self-control. The people who have self-control often have better lives. Let me see if I can illustrate this. I think these are things that we can generally agree on. People with self-control do better in school because they can control their impulses and make themselves study so they end up with better grades. 
People who have self-control find better jobs because they aren't distracted by this and that, and they do everything that needs to be done to get to the job they want. People with self-control have better marriages because they are able to control the impulses that might harm a marriage. People with self-control are better off financially because they are able to say no to frivolous or unnecessary purchases. Are you seeing our need for self-control yet? Are you seeing why we should have it? But yet there's an even better reason why we should have self-control. It's one of the characteristics of God. And if we're trying to take on the character of God, we're going to see our need for self-control because that's one that God says here. In Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 22, we see the fruit of the Spirit. There Paul says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We're going to get to the way that we take on self-control, how we can practically grow in that. But first, we need to ask a question. We need to answer the question together. How does God show self-control? And you know, this wasn't a question I had thought about before. And I think the reason why is because we've never seen God have a lapse in self-control. We've never seen him fail. We've never seen him exemplify what it looks like to lose his self-control like we so often do. So it's not a quality that I had thought about before. But I want to be clear, just because God has self-control does not mean that he has sinful impulses or desires. God's self-control is different from our self-control. He's not keeping something evil at bay. He is only good and perfect. He doesn't have to balance temptation like we do because he is purity and he is holiness. So what kind of self-control does God have? So God showed self-control in the time of Moses. Sam talked about this quite a bit last week, so I'll just mention this briefly. Uh, Multiple times God is angry with Israel in the time of the Exodus. And of course God had every right to be angry in those moments. It was righteous and good anger. He wanted to destroy them at Mount Sinai when they worshipped the golden calf. He wanted to start over with Moses. And he wanted to do it again when they came to Kadesh Barnea and decided they didn't trust God enough to go into the promised land and to take the nation of Canaan. Remember, they sent in Joshua and Caleb along with ten other spies, and Joshua and Caleb brought back the good report, but they listened to the ten other spies who said, we can't do it. Those are the two times God says, you know what? I've had enough. I'm going to wipe this nation out. I'm going to start fresh with Moses. I'm going to have a people who respect me. And both times, Moses pleads with God, and God changes his mind to show patience towards Israel. God's holiness is the trait he displays throughout, throughout all the Bible. He does not stand for sin. He does not tolerate sin. He does not ignore sin. Sin has to be answered for. And so when Israel sins directly against him, he has every right to be angry in that moment. The Israelites, when they built the golden calf, were saying, we don't believe, or we can make an idol that is better than the great I am. And when they chose not to enter the land, they were saying, we don't believe our God can defeat the people of the land, and maybe even the gods of their land. And in fact... They even said that it's God's fault that they would die in Canaan. They were 
disrespecting God in every way and failing in their faith before Him. Can you see why God would be angry? Can you see why He would want to start over with a new people that respected His great name? And yet, in this moment, God shows self-control. Moses intercedes for the people and asks God to spare them so that His name won't be tarnished among the nations. And God listens to Moses. Let me ask you a question. When you're angry, how well do you listen? How well do you stop and hear what the person says? How willing are you to change your mind? Listening is often the last thing on our minds when we're angry. Even moments where our anger is justified, we don't hear what others say. But God listens to Moses, and he decides to change his mind twice. He chose mercy instead of judgment. And so that's what God's self-control is. He is the righteous judge. And so we see God choosing between mercy and justice. And we see that he is finding the balance that we are going to deserve from him. And so maybe God really wants to judge a sinner. But in his love, he decides in that moment to show mercy. And that's all we see from God the Father in self-control. Everything else is clear. What God wants is what happens. There is nothing wavering. There is no dual nature. That is who God is. By the way, this is the opposite of what the pagan gods were described to be. The pagan gods were often driven by their passions. They were selfish. They were immoral. And people paid the consequence in the legends and the stories that they came up with for that. The God of the Bible, the true God, the God of heaven as a God that is in perfect control of himself. He is motivated by mercy and righteousness. You know, I pray we can find the same restraint in our relationships where we are able to have self-control and show mercy when all we feel is anger. But this fruit of the Spirit is interesting because it rarely drives us to observe in God. We rarely see this in God because the effects of it happen every time we sin, though. God's self-control is behind the scenes of everything that he is because justice is just around the corner for those who deny him. But there's more about God that we can see self-control through the life of Jesus. And Jesus shows self-control during his life here on earth. Of course, Jesus had the character of God as a man here on earth. He was perfect in every way, but he was tempted. And Jesus overcame all of that temptation. The writer of Hebrews says it like this in chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Both Matthew and Luke record a specific moment of temptation for Jesus. You remember, he was in the wilderness for 40 days, and the devil came to him and presented three temptations to Jesus. And we saw how Jesus overcame them. This wasn't the only time that Jesus was tempted in his life, but this is one of the most difficult times of temptation for Jesus. And yet, we find Jesus in control the entire time. Each time Jesus is presented with a different temptation... He doesn't stop and consider the choice. He doesn't weigh the consequences. He doesn't make a pro-con list of what might happen, which is what Eve did, by the way. We talked about that at the 9.15. He instead is ready with an answer. He is there with, it is written. 
Jesus is resolute and knowing what God's will is, and he is ready to answer with it in that moment. I think there's some practicality there for us, isn't there? That we can see that if we want to be self-controlled people, we need to be filled with the word of God. We're not going to find it by accident. We're not going to stumble into self-control. We have to desire the will of God. Jesus talks a lot about the will of his Father. He came to do the will of his Father even if it's hard, even if others want something else for him. He came to do the will of his Father. And he overcame temptation time and time again throughout his life. In John chapter 6, they tried to anoint him king in an earthly way, and he escaped. In John chapter 7, his brothers were trying to get him to exalt himself and make himself known to the nations, but for the wrong reasons. Jesus is constantly turning down these offers for temptation. He overcame it all. He was in complete control of his passions and his desires. He was always following the will of his Father. There's one more place that will focus on the self-control of Jesus, but we're going to save that for the end. Because we need to stop and we need to learn about how we can have self-control like God has. So we need self-control. You know, this is something our world doesn't quite buy into. Music often tells us what our culture thinks about something. So just listen to this. Tim McGraw said, I like it, I love it, I want some more of it. I don't know what he's talking about, but that's the message there, right? And then if you don't like country music, Queen said, I want it all, I want it all, I want it all, and I want it now. Truly inspiring lyrics written there. But these are playing on our radio stations during commercials, and we as a society say, okay, I see that. That sounds good to me. I am used to that. But we need to take a step back together and see what is true. Because our biggest problem in this world is self. That's our biggest obstacle that we have to face as the people of God. Every morning when we get up and we look in the mirror, we are looking at our biggest problem. And we'd like to fool ourselves into thinking it's someone else, it's my neighbor, it's my boss, it's whoever, it doesn't matter, that they're my biggest problem. But really, we know it's me. I'm my own biggest problem. There's a saying that I like that says, self is the toughest weed that grows in the garden of our lives. We've got a lot to work through here. We've got a lot to work through that we can control self. So what can we do? First thing we can do is we can choose to follow God. We have to remember that God is the center of finding ourselves in self-control. Self-control that relies on self gets us nowhere. It will fail. Self-control without God is just self-focus. That's all it is. God was able to be, uh, we are only able to be self-controlled if we are taking on the character of God. And so here's what it looks like if God's not the focus. In Galatians chapter 5, going back a few verses to verse 16, we see the contrast of the fruit of the Spirit with the works of the flesh. You'll see a shocking lack of self-control in these verses. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. You see self-control in that verse already? But if you were led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, 
enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Boy, I am glad we didn't do a series of sermons on those. I warn you, as I warned before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. As you can see, those are the qualities of someone who is completely out of control. They have no center of God in their lives. They have no focus on who God is. They have not chosen to follow God in any way. They are doing the things of the flesh and not of the Spirit. So we often find ourselves at odds here, though. We are kind of walking between the flesh and the Spirit. We're trying to take on the character of God, but the desires of the flesh are pulling us back. We find ourselves there in verse 17, that we, these keep us from doing the things we want to do. We struggle, and we fight through this. We want to do good. We want to follow God, and even still we find ourselves sinning whether it be sexual sins or how we treat others. So how do we control ourselves? Notice what Paul says here in verses 23 and 24. Self-control against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We need to start with our expectations of what it means to follow God. If we've chosen to follow God, these fleshly sinful passions that we have, these desires... They're nailed to the cross. They're crucified. They're dead to us. They are no longer holding us back from the character of God. That's what we have to decide to do. So we need to say it starts with a choice. It starts with a choice to follow God. Because we have to start by committing ourselves to follow God, and this is the beginning of any progress of self-control. Because if we haven't chosen to commit to behaving or living a certain way, we won't have a reason to control ourselves. We've got to have that commitment to begin with, and then we can work on the control. It's like the old saying, four of the best words in the English language, my diet starts tomorrow. Right? How well does that work? When we continually try and push it off to the next day, because what do you say the next day? My diet starts tomorrow. Some days you just have to start. Some days you have to start. At some point we have to say, no more. I am not letting my passions run my life anymore. God is directing my life now. So once we have that choice, we have to remember that choice. Turn over to Genesis chapter 39. We'll see what uh, an example of this is. Genesis 39. We'll read that in a second. Consider Joseph. If Paul had to pick an example of someone who showed self-control, Joseph might have been his poster child for it. Joseph was in charge of everything in Potiphar's house at this point, and yet one day his self-control was tested. Starting in verse 6, Genesis 39 and verse 6. So Potiphar left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Listen up, this part's here, we're going to spend some time on this. Behold, 
Because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and he fled and got out of the house. Joseph was a man of self-control. Joseph was a man who was faced with a difficult temptation. Remember the story of Joseph. He was sold into slavery by his own brothers. So this might have been the first time in a long time he's felt any power, any control over his life, any sort of self-sufficiency. And he has an opportunity in front of him. He's worked his way up in Egypt. He's in charge of a powerful man's house. Can you see how someone might think in this situation? I've overcome a lot of difficulty here. I deserve this. Or maybe still, another way of saying it is, I'm so special, look how high up I've become here in Potiphar's house. Of course she wants to be with me. But Joseph doesn't think or say any of this. First, he remembers his place in Potiphar's house. He has everything under him except for Potiphar's wife. He knows his place and what he is supposed to do. And secondly, and more importantly, he remembers that he cannot sin against God. Remember, choose to follow God. He remembers the choice he's made even in the midst of a temptation. And the hardest time to remember. So when we hear this story, this should help us to know some practical lessons for ourselves. When we are tempted, we need to remember our place, who we are, our place among people. Because sometimes our temptations are going to have to, we're going to have to remember our vows to our spouse in a moment of temptation. We're going to have to remember that we have made a commitment to her. Maybe we need to remember that we signed a code of conduct at our jobs. That we have an expectation of ethics while we're there. And so we tell the truth about everything. Maybe just being a part of a family, we remember that we need to keep from losing our temper. We've got to remember our place among people, that we should not do wrong to them. And more fundamentally, we need to remember that we would be sinning against God. Because typically when our self-control is tested and when we're in a moment of temptation... That's the last time we're trying to think about God. That's the time when we're trying to forget that God is part of our lives. That's the time we're trying to put Him out of our minds. That's the time where the devil has us our farthest from God. So that's why we need to choose to remember the choice we made to follow God. We've got to keep it firmly in our minds because temptation is coming. It's around the corner. Will you be willing and able to stand up to the temptation because you remembered the choice you made to follow Jesus. There are a lot of areas that require self-control. It's worth mentioning back in Galatians chapter 5 that many of the works of the flesh are sexual. It starts with three right off the bat that are sexual uh, works of the flesh and then it ends with another sexual work of the flesh. 
This shouldn't surprise us that self-control is often absent when people are living sexually impure lives. Everywhere we look, we see a world out of control here, don't we? Hypersexualized culture, clothing intending to be sexual, advertising using sexual images, celebrities are famous because of how they exploit their sexuality. Pornography is one of the biggest industries in the world and is seen by millions of people every day. Sexuality is one of the ways we can see how little self-control our world has. Are you seeing our need for self-control? Another area of self-control is how we treat others. The majority of the, fruit, of the uh, works of the flesh are about others. Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. Have you ever said something to someone you didn't mean to? Maybe worse, have you ever said something to someone you know you shouldn't have? Have you lost your temper with someone recently? We've got to have self-control. These things are everywhere in our lives. And it starts with the choice to remember our Lord. If we don't have self-control, we're going to get ourselves into trouble. So what can we do to grow in our self-control? Well, our next point is don't test yourself. You remember Joseph? What did he do when Potiphar came for him the second time there? He ran away. He left his cloak in her arms. She grabbed at his clothes and everything, and he just didn't care. He's out of there. He is not remaining in a moment of temptation longer than he has to. You know what he didn't do? He didn't decide, I'm going to hang around and see where this goes. That's often what we try and do, isn't it? Or we try and toe the line and see how close to the sin we can get. We kind of play with it like it's something that can be trifled with. This is not something that we should underestimate. Sin is serious. It will grab us. It will hold us and keep us longer than we want to stay. We often fall in sin because we're stronger than we think we are. We flip that. We're not as strong as we think we are. If someone wants to quit drinking... The last thing they're going to do is go hang out in a bar, right? That's the last thing that they would be able to do and have some strength in that moment. They've got to put themselves and surround themselves with situations and people who are going to help them in that moment. The writer of Proverbs talks a lot about this. Proverbs chapter 5 especially, the father is telling his son, a forbidden woman lives on this corner. Don't go on that street. Don't knock on her door. Stay away from her. That's sometimes just the best advice that we can be given. There is a temptation that you have. Take steps to keep it at an arm's length or farther. We've got to avoid sin. If we're struggling for, with something, don't keep trying to toe that line. Maybe it's time for us to realize that we aren't ready to win that battle on our own. And that takes us to another practical point here. And that is... We've got to teach others self-control. Turn over to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. We'll read verses 1 through 6. Paul there says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, 
pure, working at home kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men, you guessed it, to be self-controlled. Self-control is something that is for everyone. In fact, Paul, even in chapter 1, from one of the qualities of elders, mentions self-control for the elders too. Everyone in the church, everyone in the family, everyone in every walk of life needs self-control. But there's something that's helpful here. We see that there's kind of a progression, isn't there? Uh, Young people might need some help to learn self-control. And the older Christians, the older men, older women have self-control, can share it with those who are still learning it. Older men have self-control. Older women are supposed to teach self-control, young women to have self-control. That implies they have it, right? And young men are to be self-controlled too. You know, we can do that for each other just based on how we talk to each other. Are we encouraging self-control for each other? Are we helping each other to see the value of controlling our impulses and passions and refraining from the things we should not do? And we can help teach each other self-control by practicing it. That we can see each other's example. That if we know someone has overcome, has chosen God in a difficult situation, that's going to teach us a lot. We'll be learning constantly about who God is and what we should be in that moment. Others will see you and be able to learn from your self-control. So teach others self-control. But on the other side of the same coin, there's more. Ask for help. Self-control by yourself is difficult. It is not easy to be able to control ourselves without any help because we end up relying on our own strength and at some point our strength is going to fail us. None of us are strong enough to withhold temptation forever. We're going to have to ask for help at some point. We're going to have moments where we feel in over our heads. Moments where we are at the limits of our self-control. Use those times to ask for help from each other. Set up someone to be there for you for some accountability. If you're struggling with someone, ask them to help you to do it. Ask them to check in on you. Ask them, invite them in, be vulnerable with them so that they can help you find self-control. We should all be there for each other helping in every way that we can. And we shouldn't forget to mention that we should be asking God for help on this too. That if we're not praying for our growth and self-control, our growth that we can overcome temptation, we're missing out. Paul says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. Self-control needs God. We have to have God in the middle of it, or we are going to fail every single time. So practice self-control. Do your best to grow in it. Do your best to excel still more as we try to grow in Christ this year. But I feel uncomfortable at this point because we all know we've failed in our self-control. We all know that we aren't perfect. We've struggled. We've sinned. We've fallen short. But thanks be to God, there has been one, one man, the Son of God, Jesus, who came 
and had perfect self-control throughout all of his life. Because Jesus showed perfect self-control as he approached the cross. Jesus showed us perfect control. He saw, we saw it in his life already as he overcame temptation. But the culmination, the peak of his self-control happened as he came close to the cross. Jesus showed self, perfect self-control in the garden. We know his prayer. His desire, his fleshly desire was like any man in that moment. I don't want to die. Let this cup pass from me but not my will, your will be done. Jesus had perfect self-control. He had the desire to avoid his death. He was human. He didn't want to die the most painful, shameful death there was. But in that moment, in his prayers, he had control over his desires so that he could remember God's will. And we know how Jesus had control as they came for him in the garden. He reacted calmly. He didn't fight back. He didn't get angry. He didn't resist in any way. There Peter, who is often the one who has lapses in his self-control, cuts off the ear of Malchus. But Jesus heals Malchus, the servant of the high priest. He's in complete control of the situation to make sure the will of God happens. He goes with them willingly. Even Judas comes in. Do you know what Jesus says to Judas? He says, friend, do what you came to do. How many of us could speak to a betrayer like that? Jesus was in complete control. He spoke calmly and in control of himself. Jesus showed perfect control during his trial. He didn't defend himself. He didn't raise his voice. He didn't try to change his fate. The governors were amazed at the willingness Jesus had to just not give a defense. He stood there and watched as the crowds chanted and chose Barabbas, a known murderer, and sent him to the cross. He allowed them to beat him with whips. He allowed them to mock him with a crown of thorns and a purple robe. And at any time, he could have called angels to save him. But he allowed them to do all of that to him. And Jesus showed perfect control on the cross a moment where some gave up all hope like one of the thieves on the cross, Jesus was able to show mercy to the other thief on the cross. He was in complete control. He didn't shout at people as he was lifted up. He didn't blame God for his suffering. He didn't try to give in and try and save himself. Instead, he spoke with kindness. He shared hope with the thief. He shared security and care for his mother. He was in control the entire time he was on the cross. Jesus used his perfect self-control to die on the cross for our sins. Praise be to God. That is who our Lord is. That is what the perfect idea of self-control looks like. We are here because of Jesus' self-control. We have forgiveness of our sins because of Jesus' self-control. We have salvation because of something completely out of our control. That someone loved us and died on the cross for us. And even more so because we serve a God who can defeat death. No amount of self-control could change your fate. No amount of self-control could forgive your sins. No amount of self-control could change your eternal destiny. No. We are saved entirely because our great God has took us and made us through the blood of His Son. 
He has given us Jesus. And now we have hope. So we should respond to that by having self-control in our lives. Controlling our passions and trying our best to take on the character of God and be more like Him. He deserves our all so that we can walk with Him. But maybe you haven't taken on Christ. Maybe you are feeling out of control in your life. You feel like everything is falling apart. Well, things are until you come to Jesus. And Jesus will be able to save you if you are baptized into his name, taking on his character, and you can be his. All you would need to do is be baptized, and our invitation song we'll have in just a moment. Or maybe you have been a Christian, and you feel your self-control slipping. You feel sin has a better grip on you right now than it ever has before. You also can come forward and ask for prayers and ask for help from the congregation. We just ask that you come as we stand and as we sing.